0: I'll be traveling to Oklahoma this week for Professional Outdoor Media Association, and in lieu of my absence, I will have two interviews, one today and tomorrow for you all here on the podcast. Before I talk about today's episode with Senator Steve Daines, who's a return guest on the show, I want to briefly point your attention to our brand new Conservation Nation video out today on California water issues, management and the controversy surrounding water usage in my home state of california conservation nation hasn't been possible without many people behind the scenes including my friend adam hauser who unfortunately lost his battle to cancer over the weekend and we're going to miss him at SeaFact. it's a total loss it's really heartbreaking gone too soon and We'll dedicate this Conservation Nation video and future ones in his honor. Uh, he, he left a huge void uh, in the organization, and it's it's just heart-wrenching. So if you can, for those of you who knew Adam, uh, keep his wife, their daughter, Gianna, and his family in your thoughts and prayers. It, it really is just a tremendous loss without him. But Senator... Steve Daines doesn't need any introduction. He is one of the foremost conservative conservationists. He's an out outdoorsman He updates all of you about his recent hunting season, the kerfuffle over his and fallout and kind of rectification of the situation following his removal, banning, reinstatement on Twitter and the fallout from that and the lessons learned. And how he hopes that no other social media companies do that again, relating to hunting content. And he also talks about what is happening in Congress, some bills he's supporting, his concern about the future of conservation in the U.S., and so much more. I'm going to hand it over to the senator to talk about what is trending. And I think you'll like what we have to say. He's very impressive, and I've gotten to know him and his staff in the past as well. He also was in a previous Conservation Nation video on grizzly bear conservation so it's good to have him back on another platform here check out my conversation with montana senator steve danes let me know what you think senator danes good to have you back on the podcast happy great outdoors month hey good to be with you gabriella how was your hunting season are you fishing for anything hunting for anything coming up
1: (laughs) you know always I, i the other day i was uh, chatting with our governor gianforte of montana by the way it's governor gianforte not governor dutton of montana <laughs> greg's been a close friend for 25 years we raised our kids together we hunt and fish together we took our families backpacking together in to montana and greg reminded me that in montana there's only one month of the year you can't hunt and that's July. so we live in a great state where 11 out of 12 months you can find something to hunt i was out chasing a spring bear here i didn't uh didn't get onto a bear this season one that I wanted to shoot, but uh, just wrapped up spring bear and uh, put in for my antelope and elk tags. Uh, we'll, we always do a fall uh, antelope hunt, usually that opening weekend in October. And it's been a family tradition for 25 years. Uh, we plan to keep that string going here this fall.
0: You had an incident, I think, the whole country, maybe even the whole world knew about it. I think it's been rectified Ah, uh, there was controversy over the antelope picture with your wife who harvested it. Uh, Elon Musk jumped in after much, I would say, uh, news was was uh, stoked about it. And so, what has happened since then? Have you had any issues with pushing hunting content?
1: Well, just a little backstory there. Um, that was opening weekend last year. We hunt out in eastern Montana. It's called District Seven Hundred. It's a big part of our of our state. We've chased antelope for uh, for many many years, and uh, yeah, we 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 each knocked down uh, some good bucks over the course of a couple of days. Uh, made some good sneaks, good belly crawls, made good uh, one shot kills. And uh, I, I've always been a stickler, Gabrielle, around taking a good hunting picture. It kind of goes back to when I was growing up. I was kind of trained in that to to honor the the the, the antelope. You want you want to show off the animal you've harvested and. It's more about the animal than it's about the hunter. I usually don't put a firearm or anything in the picture. I like to, you know, skyline the horns so you can really show off uh, if you've if you've got a, a good animal uh, with the hunters kind of being in the background. So we took a great picture. In fact, my daughter took this picture of a nice buck with Cindy myself uh, with this this antelope, and I put it on my profile picture on Twitter back in January. Uh, and if you know you look at your profile pictures on Twitter, that's a small little circular picture, usually against a bigger picture for your profile. And I've got a, a, uh, kind of a Montana landscape for the bigger picture there, my profile. And in February, I got this notice that we've been banned from Twitter because of my profile picture. I went, what? My Twitter account was completely shut down. I was put in Twitter jail and, uh, this started to erupt. Uh, it got a lot of coverage around the country. Some of my fellow senators, I know uh Mike Rounds of South Dakota, former governor and now senator of South Dakota. He quickly put some pictures with his grandkids and some pheasants from a pheasant hunt in South <laughs> Dakota. Governor Gianforte quickly posted a picture of his wife Susan in a, a whitetail she'd killed. There was like this revolt going on, kind of daring Twitter just shut down half the country. And then Elon Musk reached out to me after this thing got to be uh, a pretty big deal. And I'll tell you, to Elon's credit, he said, I'm going to reinstate your Twitter account. And then he said, we can't let uh, San Francisco elites dictate their values on the rest of our country. And I said, hallelujah, Elon. And uh, and so he said, they are going to modify Twitter policy. But just an example of, I think, some of these Folks who um, who are so out of touch with who we are as Americans, what it means the you know the great outdoors, what hunting and fishing means, and um, glad glad to see us win that fight there on Twitter.
0: Yeah, and as you very well know, hunting and fishing play a very important role economically and culturally in this country. Uh, those two activities fund the bulk of conservation funding through Pittman Robertson, which you very well know. I don't need to remind you of that, but we tend to see erosion to let's say public lands access whenever it's tied to hunting and fishing and you have a bill to kind of counteract one of the department of interior actions to ban and phase out eventually on um, future openings of national wildlife refuges of lead tackle and lead bullets so why do you want to stop that ban from going into effect and what do you see that having an effect on in terms of participation and passing these traditions on
1: well, I think it's really important. I mean, think about who we are as Americans. It's a um, it, it's it's a distinct, unique characteristic of America. Where um, when you when you look at hunting, the sport of hunting, in in Europe, it's become uh, a sport only for the wealthy and the elite generally. Um, and and part of that is because of access to um, the lack of access to uh, to public lands. But in the United States. We are still a country in Montana. We're still a state where grandma, grandpa, mom and dad and her uncle will load up the kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, cousins, whatever. And you can go down to Walmart and literally buy a deer tag or an elk tag. You can buy a wolf tag over the counter in Montana. And uh, uh, you jump back in your pickup and you can be on public lands you know, within 30 minutes, sometimes even sooner than that. And and that's something we want to protect and preserve, where the you know the 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 regular ordinary Montanan and American still are able to hunt and to fish. It's not a sport for the elite and the rich and famous. So I've got uh, a bill here that uh, is really focused on ensuring that we protect sportsmen who are really the original conservationists because they play such an important role in wildlife management. And the last thing we should do is limit their access to public lands by implementing a blanket ban on traditional ammo and tackle. Uh, This reduces revenues for important state wildlife and conservation programs in the process. And so this is really about protecting our hunting and fishing legacy and ensuring these decisions are guided by science and not by politics and not by those than perhaps the Bureau of Land Management or United States Forest Service from banning lead ammo. Uh, this is really about protecting this tradition that we have that passes on generationally. I Typically, when you think about um, the passions we have for the great outdoors, for hunting and for fishing, oftentimes it links back to somebody who mentored us. In my case, it was my Grandpa Danes back in the late 60s. Who put a fly rod in my hand before, you know, a river runs through it was even an idea of a movie before Brad Pitt discovered fly fishing. Got you know, it was a browning siloflex rod. It was a wicker creel. And Grandpa Danes and I and my dad would go out and we fish some of the streams in central Montana. And then in the fall, it was antelope, whitetail mule deer honey. And I thank my grandpa and my dad for passing that heritage on to me. And I've passed it on to my kids and now passing on to my grandkids. So this is why we need to protect this this outdoor heritage, this hunting and fishing heritage we have that I think makes America unique and special uh, and distinct from the rest of the world.
0: In that same vein, I think outdoor heritage may be undermined, in, in my personal opinion, having done research into this, with a Bureau of Land Management rule, which is not different from what I think you and your colleagues had encountered end of 2016, early 2017, Um, it seems like BLM 2.0 or maybe BLM 3.0 to propose so-called conservation leases is on the forefront now. Uh, They want to put so-called conservation uses on equal footing of mining, grazing, and even hunting and fishing. What is your contention with the BLM's proposal here, and do you think it'll undermine even public lands access?
1: Well, I, I, I do. And that's the concern. I mean, I, I think you know, as, as Americans think about our public lands, we want to have multiple use. And we cannot allow uh, some of these activists who seek to lock out Americans from their public lands. Uh, we we want to have balanced use. And look, I, I'm a uh, a user of wilderness areas, uh, my wife and I love throwing backpacks on and, and getting back into some of the most remote and um, and wild places of Montana. So I, you know, I, I'm not opposed to wilderness. In fact, um, I was part of passing one of the you know the first wilderness bills in decades when I was in the House and been working on on conservation issues in the Senate. It shouldn't be an either or. But the problem we have we have these activists who who seek to, um, to to stop grazing on our public land, which would be a huge hit, certainly, for our ag industry, our cow-calf producers in Montana. And by the way, grazing is an important part of conservation for uh, for, for some of the grass management, which helps also in terms of reducing risk of catastrophic wildfires. And we want to make sure we've got multiple-use access um, in, uh, on our trails and so forth here. And so I, I understand there's competing priorities but let's not just make it a one one lane um, battle here where they want to stop mining. They want to stop grazing. They want to stop motorized access to our public lands. Uh, we've got to keep balance here. And that's what I think most Montanans want to see. We can't let extremes on either side of this debate dictate policy. Let's keep it balanced and common sense.
0: That's something I will continue to monitor because – I think a lot of sportsmen are clinging onto the idea and saying that oh, this is going to expand access. But we have seen before uh, these type of rules actually can decrease access, if, especially if it's coupled with national monument designations or other kind of stipulations like that. Um, but similar to this, not only are we seeing unfortunately the mission statement of DOI and those related agencies kind of diluted. Um, the EPA, I think, is perhaps even more problematic. And they were pushing the waters of the United States rule on a significant nexus test. The Supreme Court reprimanded the agency saying that they can't guide uh, waters of the United States like that and basically deem everything a navigable water. I know that was a very important issue for you, and you're very excited to see that, you and your colleagues on a bipartisan basis across both chambers of Congress, tried to veto the president's rule. And unfortunately, he uh, overrode the veto. Uh, But what is your take on the whole Wotus ruling and uh, the Sackett decision and the future of this type of rule?
1: Well, first, this was a big win that um, we uh, experienced from our Supreme Court. It was a unanimous decision that really pushed back on this overreach to rein in the federal government that uh, was really abusive in this Waters of the U.S. um, uh, rule they put in place. And it was a fundamental battle between the federal government and massive overreach and landowners' basic rights. And the Supreme Court ruled, again, unanimously the right way. And the, the problem we had, when you think about our farmers and ranchers in Montana, this WOTUS rule expanded federal regulatory power over waterways that even included, you know, dry ditches, dried up ponds and was allowing the heavy hand of the federal government to take away the land rights of Montana farmers, ranchers and families. Look, some of the the best conservationists are farmers and ranchers. They get they they receive their living from the land and the water. You know, in a place like Montana, uh, some find it Hard to believe. We we actually in a semi-arid climate. I mean, the average rainfall in a lot of places in Montana are, are 10 to 15, 16 inches a year. Uh that that is a pretty dry area. And so to think the federal government being there trying to navigate and to um uh to dictate overreach on dry ditches just kind of made Montana scratch their heads like, what are they thinking about? So we're we're glad to see. Uh, so, again, common sense, the course back on this overreach from the federal government. This is a big win for private property rights. It's a big win for the ag producers in this country.
0: Some conservationists argue that wetlands are going to be undermined. And your opinion is, do you think that's the case or that's not going to happen?
1: I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't. And look, everybody wants clean air and clean water, of course. But uh, that you've got to have, I'll just call it regulatory balance on this. This was a massive overreach that literally kind of put the fear of God into many of our producers saying, good grief. If, you know, if, if I want to do some maintenance on a dry ditch, are you telling me that the EPA and the federal governments uh, is, is going to be regulating that? And so, uh, you know, if you're a, a, a farmer or a rancher, you don't have some compliance department uh, on the third floor of headquarters that with a bunch of lawyers here that works out some of the regulatory issues. Uh, typically, the, the compliance department might be the husband or the wife uh, in, a, in a family operation. It's, it's uh, running cows and calves in Montana or try and produce wheat, barley or alfalfa somewhere. My Our son-in-law, we're very proud of him, um, they... they uh run a, a big wheat and barley and uh, an alfalfa operation and look i you know I, I spend time on the tractor in the summer with some of their second third cuttings in alfalfa and to spend time chatting with these farmers and ranchers they know the water's the lifeblood the lifeblood of their operations again because we live in a semi-arid climate they have to be leaders in conservation finding ways to conserve water to make it go further and should we protect our water uh, from contamination? And so I, uh, I I trust my farmers and my ranchers a lot more than the EPA's massive overreach we want to go out and regulate dry ditches.
0: <laughs> Indeed, yeah. I've interviewed plenty of farmers in Florida and elsewhere, and we don't see farmers held in the same regard like we do hold them here, like in Europe, because I see that news out of Ireland. It makes my head scratch with 200,000 cows that they want to cull in the name of fighting climate change. Very problematic. Um, but... Senator Deans, we first connected officially in August of 2021. You were very gracious to participate in my conservation nation report on grizzly bears. I wanted to get your update or any update rather on what is happening with the grizzly delisting efforts. Cause I know that's a volleying back and forth. We see a resistance from this administration to do it. Uh, But what is the latest status?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, first of all, uh, we've got to let the science dictate the outcome on delisting. As a kid who grew up in Montana, I went to kindergarten at Longfellow School in Bozeman, all the way through Bozeman High School. I graduated from Montana State University. My Montana roots go back five generations. I've been in the outdoors in Montana since I was a little kid. First of all, anecdotally and qualitatively, you know, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, I was, you know, back in the early days, I climbed Granite Peak, Montana's highest point. It's a semi-technical climb. I've been in the backcountry many, many, many days. And you rarely ever saw a grizzly bear in those days, like in southwest Montana. I just read a story this morning, in fact, talked about there was a, uh, there was actually a grizzly cub that was uh, tragically killed by a semi in the Gallatin Canyon, south of Big Sky. And, um. That there was a Yellowstone guide who was heading down since five o'clock in the morning to do some guided wildlife tours, and he commented that, you know years ago, it was rare to see ten grizzly bears in a season. He says now they might see ten a day. and, and it's just we've seen a massive increase in populations of grizzly bears. That's a good thing. We should celebrate the recovery of an endangered species, but by every quantitative measure. The grizzly bear populations in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem and then up in the northern continental divide ecosystem, which is the Rocky Mountain Front, kind of the Bob Marshall, that area that is to the um, west of Great Falls and Shoto and so forth, they're above their recovery targets. The science says delist the bear. Uh, And so the good news is the governors of Wyoming and Montana have pushed forward here uh, with D- Department of Interior to complete a 12 month review, and and hopefully that'll end with the delisting of the bear. It's right to do first and foremost for uh, for people. It's right for the bear as well. Return the management of that species back to the state of Montana, like we've done with wolves, and we know how to manage predators a lot better than the federal government does. It needs to be done. We're starting to see more grizzly bear human encounters. We had a tragic fatality south of Livingston last uh, spring when a, a shed hunter was out looking for, for horns and was uh, was killed by a grizzly bear. Uh, we're seeing a lot more human grizzly encounters. It's time to, to, uh, to allow Montana to manage grizzly bears, celebrate the recovery, delist it.
0: It's long overdue, but I don't think they're going to follow the science here. That's my worry as an observer of kind of their actions. But maybe they'll be forced to because we've seen states like New Jersey, which ban black bear hunts for no reason. They're not endangered. They're of least concern on the IUCN. uh, But they play politics with this because they just don't know anything better. And they're misguided, unfortunately, on this front. But uh, Senator Daines, are you also supporting or tracking the America's Outdoor Recreation Act? I know bipartisan bills. My listeners will think, "Oh, it's always great." In my opinion, having been in politics for over a decade, not everything that's bipartisan is good. But to me, this bill has stuck out, perhaps as a rarity, as a good thing. Um, are there aspects of it that you like? Are you signing on to the bill? What do you? What do? You, what is interesting to you about this proposal?
1: Well. Um you know, this is a it's a rec package for uh, for outdoorsmen. Um, we've got a, a Gateway Community Recreation Enhancement Act that is addresses the issue in these. When I talk about a gateway community, these are those communities that are on the edges of our national parks. Um, Senator Angus King of Maine and I co-chair the National Park Subcommittee. Uh, and we've got to be addressing these challenges in these, these landlocked gateway communities is we've got to figure out a way for employee housing, those who work for the National Park Service, those who uh, who work for companies that, su- that support the outdoor economy. For example, uh, whitewater rafting guides or outdoor guides that are from the private sector, but they live in these gateway communities. So th- this is a positive step forward there. Um we also have a, this, it's called the SOAR Act. It streamlines the process for issuing recreation permits for accessing public lands. Um, we're working with outfitters to make sure that uh, they can get their licenses in a more streamlined fashion. Again, this gets back to ensuring that we are, are, are facilitating a balanced use uh, of our public lands and not just a single use, which some of the folks on the left just want to lock it all up and turn the whole thing into one great big wilderness area. And again, I'm not opposed to wilderness areas, but we've got to have balance on all this. Um, And so there's one last part of it, too, is is one on uh, modernizing the film and photography, permitting of public lands. Uh, It's important for outdoorsmen that want to share their adventures on social media platforms. So there's
0: a number of components there, but uh, I think generally it's heading in the right direction. I especially appreciate the film permit stuff because I've done a lot of filming on national parks and even in forest service lands. And I shouldn't have to, as a non-commercial person, go through so many hoops and jumps just to be able to film. And I even think that uh, this administration may even interpret if you post on Instagram or something and you may make some money, may, it's not guaranteed, uh, they could view it as a commercial project and restrict you. That would create so many unknowns and, and problems. So that would be really good. I think that that gets a lot of bipartisan appeal. Senator Danes, has been really wonderful to catch up with you. Riveting conversation. Appreciate your work in Congress and in the Senate. Where can my listeners follow your work, follow your legislation, and learn more about your love of the outdoors?
1: You know, um, we um, uh, we post on, uh, certainly on, on Twitter, uh, now that Elon Musk has reinstated my account, Gabriella, um, and uh, I've got Instagram as well. Uh, and then also danes.senate.gov is our website. We keep that updated every day in terms of what's going on, the legislative priorities. Uh, there's some nice pictures of Montana in there as well, if people want to see the beauty of our great state. But uh, I think it's just really important we keep uh, pushing forward in the in the in the, you know these conservation efforts to bring balance overall here to our public lands, to our country. Because I think all of us know that we've got to be passing these values on to the next generation. And this next generation tends to want to stay buried on their phones and maybe in, inside versus being outside. And let's get more of our kids outside experiencing it, make it easy to get outside, make it easy to access our public lands, make it easy to go out and hunt and fish. This is all part of the legacy that I hope to protect and preserve for our great country and our great state.
0: Great words. People on both the left and even some on our side too need a reminder of that. Thank you, Senator Danes. It's been wonderful catching up and come back anytime to talk about any updates you want. Thanks, Gabriella. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure you're connected to us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also on your preferred player, we recommend Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us reviews if you really like the content share the podcast with friends who may be interested in learning more about what's trending in conservation and the related industries that entangle with it and sometimes work against it as well. Thanks for listening to the show and stay tuned for the next episode.